Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hate waiting a week for the next episode of Radio Rental? Subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus to get early access to episodes, ad-free listening, and bonus scary stories. Visit tenderfootplus.com for details. The following podcast includes scary stories with content that could be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Testing, testing, one, two, check, one, two, check, one, two. <clears throat> cool cucumbers coronating the queen. <clears throat> checking, checking. And we're live. Welcome to Radio Rental. We're back for a few more questions. That's right. Ask and ye shall receive. Yes, who's next? You're on the air. Well, it's not really... It's recorded, but you get the idea. Talk to me. Hi, Carrie. This is Thor. Um, I'm picking up a new car soon here, so I'm just wondering if you have any suggestions on what type of car I should buy or truck, if that's your preference. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for your call, Thor. Um, and for your question, Thor. <laughs> that's, a, that's your name, Thor. Um, so to answer your question, I think, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't answer the question. Your name is Thor. Your actual name is Thor. That's, <laughs> you're named after a Norse god. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm sorry, little, little burp. Um, what was the question again? What kind of car should, I think you need a Hummer, a car hefty enough to carry your hammer around. <laughs> Okay, thanks for your call, Thor. <laughs> your name is probably, like, Brad. Anyway, thank you for your call, and uh, good luck in your car search. <laughs> Maybe this is more of a question for Taika Waititi. Or Chris Hemsworth, I don't know. <laughs> Peace out. Actually, let's watch a new scary tape, shall we? And remember, these are all 100% real. I would have been in my late 20s, dating my girlfriend, now wife. One of the things we were excited to plan this particular summer was to take a trip out to visit a college friend of mine celebrating her 30th birthday. She had moved out of the Bay Area to this tiny town in Virginia. 
She had bought this house with this big yard, something it was impossible to do around here. My girlfriend and I used it as an opportunity to take a bit of a road trip. My girlfriend and I had to decide where to stay. The close option was a bed and breakfast that was up the street from her house. When we got there, there was no real local scene to speak of. I mean, even the main street had a post office and an old-timing general store and not much else. Rolling hillsides and a wooded area, again, sort of just off the city limits. Pulled up in front of this two-story house, no real neighbors to speak of. So we unloaded our bags and walked up, knocked on the front door. The man who came to the door was the one I'd been emailing with to make the reservation. Introduced himself as the the owner of the Airbnb, happy to have us. He was a really big guy. The first detail that jumped out were these bright red suspenders that he had. Firm handshake and a bit of an imposing guy. Seemed happy to have us, brought us in, had us put our stuff down and walk us around. He toured us through the main room. When you first walked in, it had a fireplace, a couple chairs to sit. Walked us into the kitchen, which had a back screen door out to a backyard. He said that his wife was out back on the riding mower, so we'd have to meet her later. The curious thing I noticed in that moment, though, was I didn't hear any mower going and didn't see anyone in the backyard. He toured us around the kitchen, reiterated that He was going to be cooking breakfast for us, as you do at a bed and breakfast, and what time it was going to be available and sort of what menu to expect. And I said, I think I forgot to mention this over email, but sort of the whole reason we're out here is because my friend is going to be cooking every meal for us. She even created a whole menu for every meal of the day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, had them printed. So I'm really, really sorry. I assume you have other guests. And he said, yeah, we're actually full. You're lucky that you booked the room. So I said, well, more for them. His demeanor changed really quickly. He got pretty cold. Didn't seem to really be registering what I was saying, almost like it wasn't computing that I could want to skip breakfast there. Awkward silence. We kind of left it at that. I think I mumbled sorry again one more time, but I felt like I was making it awkward. On the way up to the stairwell, up to the guest rooms, he led us past a door, he said, led down to the basement. That's where mother lived, so please don't open that door for any reason and go down there. And I said, of course. We both caught each other's eyes and without saying anything, we're a little alarmed. It's something you hear someone say in a horror movie. It was a very dark hallway, closed doors to maybe four or five guest rooms. Ours was at the end of the hall. He showed us in, we put our bags down, closed the door. My wife noticed it was a pretty flimsy lock, but it was an old house. You know, the stairs creaked, the door creaked even when we closed it. What we wanted to do was get cleaned up, get ready, go over to my friend's house down the street for the start of her birthday weekend. I was getting ready and was ready to go first, and my wife was taking a shower, and there was a knock on the door. 
I open it, and in that dark hallway, our host is standing there, just kind of looming. I say, oh, hi, uh, what can I do for you? After another awkward silence, he said, I have a group of friends who get together in the woods to play poker. We're meeting there tonight. Would you like to come with me? Uh, no thanks. I have plans. Appreciate the offer. His face got very impassive in a very sort of flat voice, said, have a good night, backed into the darkness of the hallway and went downstairs. We walked over to my friend's house. It was a good time. My friend had put together this great menu. I met these other couples who were staying at the house, played games, conversation, some drinks. It was pretty late and pretty dark when we decided to go back. We made it back to the house and gingerly walked up the front steps and opened the door with the key we'd been given, trying not to wake anyone up. We made it to the room and closed the door. As we were getting ready for bed, I noticed on top of the dresser there was a single cupcake. Beneath it was a folded card and it said, for Alex. I was pretty creeped out by that. It felt like a lot of attention I was getting from this stranger that I didn't want. I didn't eat the cupcake. I threw it away, mixed with some other trash or something so that he wouldn't find it in the wastebasket and hurt his feelings somehow that I didn't accept his gift. I was jokingly saying I should put the chair up under the doorknob to the hotel room like they do in the movies or the cartoons. My girlfriend and I agreed that we should probably do that. The next morning, my wife is getting ready. I go downstairs. The kitchen is full of smells. Basket of scones, tray of bacon, scrambled eggs, fresh fruit. Our host is there cooking away, making all of this. I say good morning. He takes a minute to respond. Instead of good morning, he responds with, you had a late night. Oh, yeah, sorry. I hope we didn't wake you up. We were trying our best not to. I was up. Then turned and offered me a plate, a knife and fork, and told me to help myself. Sorry, I, I'm about to go eat a huge breakfast at my friend's. I really shouldn't. He just kind of stared at me. The awkwardness filled the room. I didn't know what to do, how to respond in that situation. Right or wrong, I took the plate and I put food on the plate and started to eat. The whole time he's standing there across the kitchen island, staring at me, watching me, very strange. I tried to make some small talk, some conversation about the other guests, making sure that there was plenty for them. He said, don't worry, I made this for you. No other guests came down for breakfast. I didn't hear anyone upstairs closing a door, coming down to go out for the day. 
I did the only thing I could do, not knowing how to get out of the situation. I finished a plate of breakfast. My girlfriend came down the stairs and was ready to go, and I was more than ready to go. I said, thank you, that was great, and we left. And my friend was having a great time, and the drinks were flowing, and we stayed later even than the night before. We parted ways. We said we were taking off first thing in the morning in the rental car back to the airport. The difference from the night before was there looked like there was a light on in the living room area right when you first enter the house. We're trying not to be rude, but it looks like someone's up. We open the door. There's a fireplace going, and next to the fireplace is this big sort of overstuffed armchair and our host with a laptop in front of him. He looked angry. Awfully late, don't you think? Sorry, I hope you weren't waiting up for us. We were just having a good time. It was our last night with our friend. No, he hadn't been staying up for us. He was doing work. My wife and I are sidling around the room a bit to get over closer to the doorway that's next to him that would lead up to the stairs in our room. Just because his whole demeanor, his whole body language, his facial expression was all very cold. It felt very strange. One of us tried to make conversation and asked him, what are you working on? He said running a bed and breakfast was something he enjoyed, but his real passion was studying serial killers. Studying their murders, their methods, profiles of the victims, weapons, psychological tactics. This was what he was truly passionate about. I could tell my girlfriend was freaking out. I was still trying to get us out of the room, but also do it in a way that didn't piss him off. He said, yeah. On the message boards that I'm on, I'm known as something of an expert. I've had people who are writing books or even writing a TV show reach out to me because I have such an extensive database. It's how I spend all my evenings. He paused and looked at me with very intense eyes and said, I can show you if you want. There was something in that that didn't feel just like him turning his laptop around and showing me what project or case he was examining. It felt like he could show me a lot more. My wife and I felt like we might be in danger. He's going on about serial killers. His affect is totally bizarre. As far as we know, we're the only ones in the house. We haven't seen any guests. We haven't seen mother. We haven't seen a wife. It's a dark country road. There are no neighbors nearby. It's late. He's going on about murderers. Who are his friends in the woods? Does he have other folks in the area who are also fascinated with serial killers? What do they get together and talk about? 
Why the cupcake just for me? Why the fixation on just me and almost ignoring my wife the entire time? I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't make any more small talk. Pushed my girlfriend into the hallway first and then we both just bolted up the staircase. Instead of pushing a chair up against the door, we actually together shoved the dresser up against the door. We agreed we were gonna try and get a little sleep, but we were getting out of there as soon as we could first thing in the morning. The sun was coming up, one of us woke the other up, quietly packed our stuff. When we went to move the dresser, the door had been opened. The dresser had stopped it. The lock had been dodgy at best, but did he try and come into our room the night before while we were asleep? I don't know. Was I letting my imagination run wild? I don't know. We move the dresser back as carefully, as quietly as possible. We leave the dark hallway. Unlike the prior couple of days where the doors had all been closed, I noticed very quickly before we went downstairs that a couple of those doors were open for the other guest rooms. I didn't see any evidence of anyone staying in them. No suitcase, no rumpled bed. We made it downstairs, booking it through the living room out the front door. As we were doing that, what we heard were very heavy footsteps coming up slowly from the basement to that door that he told us not to open. It had to be him. Big guy, heavy footsteps. We ran out the front, threw the stuff in the car, fired it up. I had left the house key, tossed it on the floor on our way out, got out of there. The license plate on the guy's sort of old car out front read Nightwolf. At some point, I looked up missing persons database for that area. And there are probably nine people that have gone missing over what looked like a 15, 20 year period. It scares me to think about it. I think we escaped a serial killer. <laughs> Radio Rental will be back after this quick break. This summer, romance sends waves down the waterfront. A new blockbuster film has everyone abuzz. Young love burns bright in the sci-fi rom-com psychological thriller period piece, My Summer on Ripple Creek. In 1901, young Annie finds a note in a bottle washed ashore and promptly falls in love with the writer, only later discovers the bottle has fallen through a wormhole from the future, and the writer is actually ChatGPT. Unable to explain what ChatGPT is to the rioting townspeople, Annie is ripped from her family's seaside mansion and burned at the stake as a witch. While in reality, she is a hero, 
standing for technological advances and harmony between machine and human. My summer on Ripple Creek is a story we can all relate to, one of young love and the complications around it. Critics are calling My Summer on Ripple Creek perfect for the airplane and needlessly ambitious and Wuthering Heights meets Severance meets something else. But you can decide for yourself. Check out My Summer on Ripple Creek in limited theaters this Memorial Day weekend. Screenplay by ChatGPT. Directed by ChatGPT. Produced by ChatGPT. A ChatGPT joint. Un film de cinéma de ChatGPT. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. And we're back. Reveal yourself to me. Hi, Terry. This is Madeline. Um, I heard you were giving out some dating advice, so I just wanted to ask you a quick question. Um, my boyfriend and I have been dating for like five or six months, and he hasn't said I love you yet. But I just wanted to know, how long should I wait for someone before addressing it or anything or anything related to that? Yeah, thanks. Let me know what you think. Madeline, thank you so much for calling. Um... Wow, five months and your boyfriend hasn't said I love you yet. You know what? This is what men truly respond to. They respond to a kind of a a smothering pressure for commitment. First, I wouldn't be so direct. I would be more passive aggressive and just be like, oh, if he says like, I love pancakes, you can say, oh, you love pancakes. You know, a lot of sidewinder comments 
um, often get the job done. So first of all, try to be super indirect and passive aggressive. Maybe ice him out sometimes, cold shoulder. Um, and if he says, what's wrong? Say nothing. Um, and then and then just lay it on him. Men really love emotional intensity. So trust that first impulse. Give him an ultimatum. If you don't love me, I'm leaving you. And then while you're at it, then start to pile on the pressure, you know? Does he want marriage? Does he want uh, children? Try and pressure him to, for the deepest possible commitment as soon as you possibly can. That's my advice to you. This is what men, they truly, they may say they don't like it, but they truly respond positively. So, um, there you have it. There you go. I'm sure you, he'll be saying I love you and you'll be married in no time and pretty soon let us know when wedding bells ring and you'll be popping up three or four babies. So, <laughs> let us know the wedding date, okay? Make sure I'm invited. Thank you. Now, if I could only fix my toaster oven huh. and my receding hairline. Okay, enough about that. Next tape. My best friend and I, we spend a lot of time car camping. We do a ton of hiking just on a normal, regular basis. We do spend a lot of time outdoors. It was the summer of 2016 when this happened. I was probably in my early 30s. I had just moved in with my best friend. We decided we wanted to take an impromptu road trip, but we wanted to do something that was a little bit more wild. So we opted to fly to San Diego and spend 10 days backpacking, hiking, whatever. And we took 10 days to get to Seattle. We decided that we were going to camp after trail running that night. It was day seven. I did break my ankle that day. I hobbled back to the car and I remember telling Mindy I don't know if I'm gonna be able to hike the rest of this trip. It's hard for me to walk, but I'm absolutely gonna give it a go. And she said, okay, well maybe we'll find a campsite different from where we were planning that is close to Tunnel Falls so we don't have to make a bigger trip. Maybe that'll help, because it's a 13 mile round trip hike. It's strenuous, it's really hot, but you're gonna want all of your energy, so let's try and sleep in in the morning. We were driving for about 30 minutes on this very small two-lane backcountry highway that was very divoted. It had a lot of cracks. It was super bumpy. It was not safe to be driving over 30 miles an hour, especially in the tiny little car that we had rented. We get to our campsite. Me with a busted foot, I'm thinking along the lines of, let's find something close to the road. There's nobody else out there. We hadn't seen another car in over 30 minutes from this time that we left a very small town to get to where we were in the middle of nowhere. 
Once we got to this campsite, we thought, here we are, we're in this beautiful forest, let's enjoy it, let's go ahead and eat dinner, let's set up our camp. But I immediately knew when we pulled in, I didn't feel comfortable. Everything was so thick. The forest was thick, the air was thick, and there were no storms. It was completely clear. Everything about this place was just odd. I thought to myself, I'm just being overreactive. I just busted my ankle. We're gonna try and hike in the morning. We're tired, you know, we're almost at the end of our trip. So I need to just settle down. Let's go ahead and set up. Mindy did take a photo of our campsite and posted it on Facebook for all of our friends to see with the little bit of service she had, but it took about an hour for that photo to download. So we knew service wasn't good back here. We set up the camp, we ate dinner, and at about 5.36, Mindy goes, you know, I'm exhausted. I'm gonna crawl in, it's time to go to bed. And I said, okay, I'm gonna do the same. We crawl into the tent, there's still light out because it doesn't get dark until about 8.30. So we zip up the tent and we have a dome on so you can't see anything, but I can hear everything. There's birds chirping, there's squirrels running around in these dead leaves on the floor. There's so much noise that I can't get comfortable, I can't relax. I keep hearing these loud cracks, loud bangs outside my tent. But they're not like a gunshot. It sounds like tree limbs falling. There could be a bear, there could be a fox, it could be anything. But again, Mindy and I are used to being outdoors, so this wasn't something that was uncommon. I knew what to expect, and I knew that Eventually, they kind of get curious, but they'll wander away. It's not a big deal. But for some reason, this night, I could not let it go. About 8 o'clock, I notice that I'm just not going to go to sleep, and I start thinking to myself, I don't want to be bear food, nor do I want to be hunted by whatever it is that's out there. So let me get the car and move it closer to the tent. I crawled out of the tent, hobbled to the car, reversed it back towards the tent, and Mindy comes flying out. Oh my gosh, what are you doing? Are you okay? Have you lost your mind? No, I just thought that if the car is closer, I wouldn't have to hobble as far if we were running. Running from what? I don't know. This is the scaredest I've ever felt camping. But I think it would be better if we slept in the car. If we sleep in the car, there's a better chance that I'm going to stay asleep. And she says, let's do that. Let's get in the car. Let's take everything out except the tent and our sleeping pads. So we gather everything we can and the light is starting to get dimmer. It's starting to get to where, like 8.15, 8.30, where that sun is setting and there is nothing else out here. There's no street lights, there's no camp lights, there's no other campers that we've heard, there's no other cars that have passed us. 
We've got the windows cracked. There's enough air coming in. We've got both seats leaned back and I'm in the driver's seat. I told Mindy, if I wake up and I want to leave, I'm going to go. And she's like, why? And I'm like, I don't know. Everything about this place scares me. We put on the most boring podcast we can find and we're out. Fast forward, 11.30, it's pitch black. Only the moon is in the sky and it's kind of peeking through the trees. The air still feels thick. In fact, it feels thicker. There's fog rolling in. There's no storms, there's no wind. It's just a very light breeze that you can hear every once in a while hitting the trees. Off to the side of the driver's side of the car, I can hear crunching. Like somebody walking through the trees. It sounds like a grown man, over 200 pounds, stepping on tree branches. It's very slow and methodical. It's not in a normal pace. This isn't normal, this isn't right. I'm gonna just slowly sit up and see if I can see an animal roaming around the camp. I sit the car seat up, I pull my feet out very, very slowly out of the sleeping bag. I'm trying to slow my heart down. The moon is just peeking through enough that you can see some shadows. I don't see a thing. There's nothing around the car, and it's a little car. I'm in the open, except for this weird barrier of forest that's all the way around us, and it's thick. It is dark. And there is that crunching. And it's coming from my side of the car. What is going on? I cannot be imagining this. I grab the keys. I can hear these footsteps outside of the car. I don't see anything in the clearing. I don't see anything leading out to this little highway. I don't see anything except all of a sudden, out of nowhere in the trees, I see light. This dim green orb from way back in the forest it doesn't look like a flashlight, but it was like an orb. It had light going from all directions. Maybe a lantern? But again, who's out in the forest at midnight stalking through a BLM campground with two women in a car? That seems kind of strange to me. The light is approaching, and it's approaching slowly, but I can see it coming through the trees, and I don't see the shadow of a person. I don't see the shadow of an animal. I don't see any shadows of anything, like pushing through the trees, moving the tree limbs, but I still hear that loud crunch. And then I start thinking, a bear's not gonna have a light. Mountain lion's not gonna carry a light. I start panicking, so I immediately slap Mindy awake. Mindy, get up, and I'm trying to whisper, 
Hey, Mindy, I need you to wake up. She sits up and she looks over and just kind of clears her eyes and she goes, what the fuck is that? Get the fuck out of here. So I have those keys, I jam them in and we are gone. I didn't have a chance to look and see what the lights were. I didn't have a chance to get our tent in the car. We were gone down that two lane highway going 60 miles an hour so fast. I'm pretty sure I bottomed that little car out twice. It was terrifying. My heart is going as fast as I've ever felt. I couldn't get my breathing to slow down. Both of us looked at each other. What was that? What was that? We can't figure out what that was. It was coming at us, but there was no discernible way to figure out if it was a person or if it was something else. That light was so odd. It was green, it was glowing, and it was just coming at us. We agree that it's probably best if we just head into town. We don't want to go back to that campsite. We don't want to sleep out there. Screw it, we'll drive all morning if we have to. We get to town, we pull into a Sherry's diner. We agree we're gonna have pie, let's just calm down. Let's just think about this. It was probably somebody coming through the woods with a lantern, they were probably just looking for a campsite. Maybe somebody rolled in while we were sleeping. We just kind of sat there for a second and Minnie gets onto her Facebook and she goes, oh my God. One of her friends, who happens to be a full-blooded Native American, had commented, watch out for the lights in the woods. And we both just jaw on the floor. She says, let me maybe reach out and see if he's awake. I know it's three o'clock in the morning here, but he was awake. He sent us a video that was all about these lights in the Tahoma region. Crazy sightings of lights that are unexplained that nobody knows anything about. It's not some random dude for the last 120 years going around with a lantern freaking people out. So we continued talking to him and he just said, yeah, there's a lot of unexplained lights, a lot of unexplained happenings. Some think it's aliens, some think it's ghosts. The next day, we decided we would go back and get our tent. It was the creepiest way to come in. It was light out, it was about nine in the morning. We get to the campsite and everything is so undisturbed. It is eerie. And that forest still feels thick and heavy. And it's the middle of the day, it's, the sun is shining, it's beautiful. The tent is undisturbed and it's open so neatly and nicely that I'm like, did somebody come by or did we do that? I don't remember getting out of the tent and rolling it up that nicely. Our mats are set up, tents open. It was the quickest I think we've ever torn down camp because we were still so uncomfortable in broad daylight. Even people that were near that area say, oh yeah, we don't go over there. We've just heard a lot of bad things. Me and my best friend look up more and we're starting to see that people have disappeared in these woods at some point. 
We see that people have gone on spirit walks and never returned. Some crazy stuff. We still cannot find this logical explanation for whatever it was that came through the woods at us that evening. I didn't feel like it was coming after us to say hello. I felt like it was coming after us to get us out of his campsite. Wow, that was scary. Kind of like this. Uh, okay, that was not actually the button I meant to press. I was trying to freak you out with a little bit of this. All right, someone's been messing with my soundboard. Okay, time for some ads. No, 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 no! There it is, right on cue. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Hi, Terry. This is Tom. I'm a huge fan of all your work, and I was just wondering, where's that OnlyFans link? Please call me back. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I have an OnlyFans. Um, it's not under my name. Um, you're going to have to search for it, but um, I'm not allowed legally to promote it <laughs> on Radio Rental because it's a little risque, it's a little bit erotic. Uh, my personal take on OnlyFans is, although there is plenty of clamor to see my beautiful beefiness uh, exposed... Um, that's not the game that Terry plays. I have an OnlyFans in which I dress uh, in a cosplay, erotic cosplay versions of some of your favorite horror characters. I'm especially drawn to clowns and robots. I do uh, an erotic cosplay of Megan, dressed as Megan. I do erotic Pennywise. I have a semi-nude Chucky. I do a leprechaun with his quote-unquote shillelagh, uh, gremlins from gremlins, um, Art the Clown from the Terrifiers, uh, John Wayne Gacy. All of these have an erotic component. You'll have to find that yourself, you know. Um, perhaps my favorite uh, spread, uh, so to speak, were the, uh, the Grady twins from The Shining. 
where I play both twins that are conjoined by the... Well, you get the idea. So make sure to check out my OnlyFans. Uh, I think you will be deeply, deeply horrified. And perhaps a little titillated as well. Thanks for your call. Wow, okay. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Who knew you were all so... Uh, interesting. Thanks for tuning in as always. And as always, it has been a pleasure having you. On behalf of all of us at Radio Rental, good night and good luck out there. <laughs> I don't want to be hearing you on one of these tapes one day, unless you're into that kind of thing. I mean, whatever floats your ghost. <laughs> Do you get that, Malachi? Susie? Radio Rental is created by Payne Lindsay and brought to you by Tenderfoot TV. Lead producer is Eric Quintana. Executive producers are Payne Lindsay and Donald Albright. Hosted by Rain Wilson as his character, Terry Carnation. Written and produced by Meredith Stedman. Supervising producer is Tracy Kaplan. Associate producer is Jaja Muhammad. Editing by Eric Quintana, Mike Rooney, Sean Nerney, and Sydney Evans. Additional writing by Mark Lachlan. Sound design, mix, and master by Cooper Skinner. Additional sound design and mixing by Devin Johnson. Original score by Makeup and Vanity Set. Video editing by Dylan Harrington. Cover artwork by Trevor Eiler and Rob Sheridan. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum and the team at UTA, the Nord Group, Station 16, Beck Media and Marketing, and the team at Cadence 13. If you have a radio rental story that you'd like to share, please email us at yourscarystory at gmail.com or contact us via the form on our website, radiorentalusa.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Radio Rental. You can also follow the illustrious Terry Carnation on social media. Just search at Terry Carnation. On behalf of the Radio Rental Store, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.